Get your Bibles out again and turn to Mark's Gospel. We're going to read out of the Gospel of Mark. We did not get done last Wednesday night talking about what happened in the garden. We just got started. We got sidetracked with universalism. And if you weren't here, I'll just give you the synopsized report. I'm again it. All right. It's not biblical. And uh, we talked about several things that took place concerning Jesus in the garden. And I really had anticipated probably springing into the trial section of, of this last week of Jesus' life. But as I was reading again some of the passages from the other writers, there were just a couple of things that lit up. And I thought, you know, there's a part two to the garden before we leave too quickly. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're still not out of the garden yet. In fact, some of you are in a garden and you don't need to get out of it yet. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that as well. But if you have your notes with you, you can begin to fill in the notes. We're going to do just a quick review and then we'll get to the new stuff. Jesus came to this earth for two primary purposes. Number one, to provide atonement. That's the word you can write in. Atonement for the sins of the world. That's what he did on the cross in order that we would not have to die ourselves in order to satisfy the justice of God's holiness, which sin obviously has impugned and violated. And so that was, we could even call it maybe the primary reason, although I hate to use the word primary because the second reason he came, I think is equally as important as being redeemed for all eternity. And that is number two, to model for us, I believe model is the word, to model for us the ability to exist abundantly, to function supernaturally, to journey victoriously, and then, of course, to live eternally. Now, isn't that good news? Now you know why gospel is good news. He came that you might function in all of those things. And I want all of those things. I want, I want atonement at one minute so I can be reconciled to God. And I want to understand how I can live this life uh, with a distinguishable advantage uh, because I am a son of or you are a son or daughter of God. So, so we've been talking about that and we can learn a lot through this week. Now, in order for both of those purposes to manifest in our life, it's crucial, as I've been telling you, to get what was happening through this ostensibly one-week time period. Now, I'm going to spill over into the ascension as well, which happened a little bit longer down the path, but we need to get what was going on. And I told you last week, the garden incident is often overlooked. It's very important. I talked to you about how it is possible that the location that Jesus knelt was the very location uh, of Eden. We just don't know. So I just determined why not. It could be the very location because what happened in the garden was a reversal of everything that took place within Eden. And uh, we mentioned last week that, that that's a powerful, powerful picture of, of Jesus beginning to move through the whole process of reversing all that the first Adam lost. Jesus, as Paul said, became the second Adam in order to restore that which the first Adam lost. Okay? So uh, if you, if you want to hear more about that, go to iTunes and you can catch up by listening to the whole thing. But I want to begin now tonight with what happened in the garden part two. What happened in the garden part two. Mark's gospel. Are you there? Mark 14, beginning with verse 43. Let's just listen to what Mark had to say about this. It says, And immediately 
while he was still speaking. Now, the context of this is Jesus had been praying. He went back to the disciples that had come with him. He had begun to speak to them, asking them certain questions. I don't know if it was an exact rebuke, but there was certainly, I I sense disappointment that they were not able to stay awake with him and pray with him. And while all of this is going on in verse 43, it says, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12 with a great multitude with swords and clubs came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him, meaning Jesus, and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, I always find that interesting in in all of the gospel accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It never says who the dude is that drew his sword. Now, we all know who that is because John told us. But most people don't realize, if you study the creation of Scripture, most people believe that Peter had great influence upon the writing of Mark's Gospel. And I thought it interesting that he didn't want to put his name in there. So we don't know who it is here, but we, John didn't have any, any scruples about that. It's Peter! So he pulled his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out? as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me. I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but the Scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him. You know who that is. His disciples. They all forsook him and fled. Now I'm going to read verse 51 and 52 because this is one of the most fascinating two pieces of Scripture that you probably have never heard. Has any? I don't know if anybody's ever heard these two passages ever taught on. But I'm going to touch on him tonight. Verse 51. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young man, men, laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. That's the first incident of streaking we have in the Scriptures. I don't know if you've ever even heard those passages dealt with before. Some of you may not have even known it was in there. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. What happened in the garden? Part two. Now, remember what we've been teaching you. We've been teaching you about the mystery of the incarnation. The mystery of the incarnation means that Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. He wasn't 50-50. He was 100% 100%. And so whenever you begin to interpret events in the life of Jesus... You have to look at it with sort of eyes that's willing to see two layers. And these two layers, very simply, you know what they are, is that Jesus can function out of his deity. Jesus functioning out of his deity. But at the same time, there are numerous occasions we know that Jesus was functioning out of his humanity. Obviously, God doesn't have to eat, but Jesus had to eat. Uh, You know, God can be anywhere at the same time. Jesus was obviously restricted. And according to Philippians chapter 2, the Bible tells us that he poured out all his divine rights and he became just like one of us. And so 
So as we begin to interpret the events of the life of Jesus, we have to remember that he's not just walking through this as some some uh, uh, robot because he's God and he just uh, he's impervious to these things because he's God. So therefore, he's like Superman. You know, he he has bullets bouncing off his chest. He can do anything he wants, but that's not the case in order to be a valid high priest. To bring atonement to us, he had to become the one who could empathize with man and grab man's hand. And yet at the same time, he was pure and holy and spotless and could grab the hand of God the Father. He was the only one that could join us together so that we could be at one with each other. Now, the whole question to all of this as we watch this, and if we begin to interpret it, understanding that he's walking some things out with his humanity being displayed to us, what does that mean for us? As we look at what he's going through in the garden, was it just was it just something that fulfilled scripture and we just kind of watched the story play out? Or is there something going on here that we need to understand that Jesus is modeling for us? Because you understand that what Jesus did, we can do. Now, I'm just that's Bible, right? And, and, and truth of the matter is, Jesus had to carry his cross. He had to get on his cross and he looked at us and he said, you need to pick up your cross, right? He was crucified, but the scripture says we're to be crucified. He was resurrected from the dead, but the Bible says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you and raising you up into victory. So he becomes the template or he becomes this model for us. So what are we learning in the garden? Write these things down. These are horrific circumstances, but these are some things that I just began to glean out of all of this. Number one, victories are won on your knees first. Victories are won on your knees first. Now, you've heard that before, but now you have the Scripture before you. Long before Jesus got through all the horrific circumstances of Passion Week, He went to a garden. He got on his knees. He began to pray. He pressed through the stresses and the burdens and the issues of what he was about ready to face. And this is where, Miss Louise, we used to get the old phrase. He prayed through. He prayed through. He prayed through. You say, what does it mean to pray through? You pray through until you grab a hold of the will of God and you know that you know that you know, that you know, that you unshakably know. That's what it means to pray through. We pray through to where we're sort of convinced. We're to pray through till we get a hold of the will of God. So he got on his knees and he got a hold of God. And we have to be tenacious in our prayer. Now listen to me. All of us want to get to the victory place. All of us want to get to the destiny place. All of us want to be exalted and be given a name. All of us want to be lifted up. All of us want to find that place of preeminence. All of us want to find visibility. All of us want to operate in power. Listen to me. We're going to walk through some tough times. God purges and purifies and tests and refines and He works in His people because He ain't throwing the keys to nations, to people who haven't been refined. That's what this week was all about. That's what may be going on in your life. We have to be tenacious before we ever walk into those things in our prayer. And we have lost, I just believe this, in the American church at large, we have lost the value of prayer. We have. We, 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 will, we will mark it, we will promote, 
Uh, we will we will figure out strategies. We'll spend hours calculating things. I've been guilty of this myself. We'll do that in our personal lives. We'll we'll think of witty ideas. We'll strategize. We'll we'll try this and we'll try that. And I, and you know, there's a place you got to put energy. I know and feet to the will of God. But there are moments that we need to be reminded that that real activity happens when we begin to pray. If we pray. If we pray, things begin to happen. Do you believe that? I mean, think about that. If you really believed it, we'd probably do more of it, wouldn't we? You know, sometimes even in the church nowadays, you call prayer meeting and people feel like it's optional. Now, I've not been called to go door to door to drag everybody to pray. In fact, you can see in Jesus' day, he asked a few to come with them and they couldn't get through the prayer meeting. So I guess it's always been around that way. So... So no one's going to force anyone to pray. But, but can I just share this with you? When the heat's turned on, then don't be surprised if you melt. Jesus didn't melt because Jesus prayed. All right, And maybe, maybe we would stand if we learned how to get the victory on our knees first. Number two, what the garden teaches me is that some things you have to press through on your own. Some things you do have to press through on your own. Now, I am grateful, and I trust you are too, that you have brothers and sisters in the Lord. Isn't it nice to be able to pick up a phone or grab a cup of coffee and have someone of like faith and you can share and talk to and maybe they'll even pray for you or or encourage you or exhort you with the Scripture? These things are in order. The Bible tells us to do these things with one another. But I want to share this with you because this is the truth, too, that there are moments you're going to have to learn to press through on your own. The the one you counted on to be there when you pick up the phone may not be there. It may not be the opportune time for somebody, you know, just to come to your aid and your rescue. There are some things that you're going to have to wrestle out alone between you and God. We want the love and support of people, but truth is, nobody's called to carry the same cross that I'm called to carry. I want to share this with you. You got a cross, and I may not be called to carry your cross. So you got to carry that cross. Nobody else can carry that cross except the one it's been designed for. Now, you've got to get to the place where you realize that no one else is going to understand that. Nobody's going to understand at times all that you have to walk through, and you've got to get a hold of the fact that, that they'll never understand. And you got to be okay with that. You know, Jesus didn't come out of his prayer time and just land blast these guys. He said, could you not tarry for me at least one hour? I mean, he wasn't blasting them. He was, you know, he's looking at them and saying, God, I hate that you, you know, you shouldn't have gone to sleep. But truth of the matter is there was none of them that could do what Jesus was fixing to do by way of atonement on the cross. Is that not right? Only he was the one that could do that. And there are moments that's how it is with you. And so I'm always real sensitive whenever I'm watching people's lives. And I want you, I just want to sensitize you to this. That when you watch somebody going through challenging moments, difficult times, maybe some trials. And, and, you, and you feel for them. You know, you, you love them and you wouldn't wish it on anybody, but you know they're going through it. I'm just sensitizing this to you, and I've been sensitized to this, that you just don't bounce into people's lives and say, Ah, oh, yeah, Bill, I know just exactly what you're going through. I know exactly what you're going through. You know, I had, the, you know, I, you know, eight, nine years ago, 
and, and because it was such a traumatic event, of course, those things are, are in our hearts. And when we went through, when we went through the transition, we went through uh, to come here and, and start Legacy. It was amazing how many people came up to me and go, oh, pastor, I know exactly what you're going through. No, you don't. You don't have any idea what I'm going through. You're a garbage collector. You're a teacher. You're in this field. You're in that field. You're in all this field. Don't, how many churches have you pastored? How do you know what it feels? You don't know what it feels like. I've looked at people before that have lost children. And you just don't bound into their room and say, oh, I know exactly what you're feeling. I, you know, I had a special dog that I lost. Well, how many of you know that that isn't true sympathy? There's some things you just got to press through on your own. You want to find somebody that understands that and, and that's helpful. But I have found that there are moments that God puts us, just puts us in a moment. And he says, this, this is you and me, Kevin. This is you and me. You're not going to be able to lean on your wife. You're not going to be able to lean on your kids. Now, they love you and they do anything for you, but this is one time. Nobody else can do this. You aren't going to be able to lean on your church. You aren't going to be able to lean on your overseer. You're not going to be able to lean on the people. This, this one's just between you and me. And the reason it's between you and me is because I want to know and you got to know that when the chips are down, I am there and you can trust me. You don't need to trust earthly, temporal things. You need to trust me. And every now and then we find ourselves at that point. It's not that people are trying to alienate you. We get mad at people at times because they aren't doing what we think they need to do to help us at the moment of our need. And maybe it's because God's saying, when are you going to look to me? When are you going to trust me? When are you going to get that, that story that testimony, when are you going to get that, that moment that I stepped into your life? Well, I learned from the garden that there are just some things i got to press through on my, with myself. I mean, just not all the time. It's not every issue. Are you following me? It's not every issue. But there are some that it is. Number three. I learned from this event that God provides a garden for you before he calls you to carry a cross. God provides a garden before he throws a cross at you. I, now, I, I believe this. A lot of people, they would say, it seems like I just got the cross thrown at me. I don't ever remember <laughs> being given a garden. Well, it, it might be you just weren't watching and waiting. Maybe you had no insight to that. See, long before you have to walk through something tough, I believe there's a garden moment to prepare. I, I just believe that. I can look back, you know, experience in history is a great teacher. And I can look back at tough moments and I can tell you almost without exception that there were moments before the tough moments that God had given me a garden. And it was there that I could begin to deal with the Lord and he could begin to deal with me. It was what I call a count the cost moment. You got to count the cost before you step into it. Am I really going to do this? Am I really going to step into the will of God here? 
I, I'm beginning to see exactly what God's asking of me, and now I'm at this crossroad. Do I choose to step into the will of God, or do I choose to try to find another way? We literally begin to pray what Jesus prayed. He said, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass. Some of us just stop right there and never get to, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. See, the garden is the moment of brokenness. Brokenness, brokenness is not devastation. Brokenness is not like God's beating on you. Some people don't understand biblical brokenness. Brokenness, brokenness is, is, is just a synonym for yieldedness. Something inside of you has been broken that is no longer about you and what you want and your way. It's about what he's asking and what he's put before you. You see, all of us, when we're in the big services and we're cheering and we're yelling and pastors exhorting you and, and, and I look at you and say, are we ready to do God's will? And the congregation goes, yeah, yeah. I say, are you ready? You ready to, to walk in the purposes of God? And we all go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you ready to sign the blank contract and whatever God says you're going to do? And we all go, yeah. And then the day comes when God puts out the contract that you'd signed that had nothing on it. But now he's written 10 lines on it. And we go, whoa, 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 whoa. Now, now I, I don't know that I'd have signed it if I didn't know. That, then God goes, that's, that's why it was blank. Because I know exactly what you would have done if you would have seen that. You do exactly what you're doing now. You'd be saying, I'm not sure. I don't want, I, this isn't easy. I thought, hey, I thought I was on the abundant life trail. I thought I was in the line, you know, for the prosperity. I'm, I'm one of the millionaires in this congregation. You know, that you're going to raise up. That was the line I was in when I was, you know, Lord, that's what I, you know, and, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden he's put in front of you, he's put in front of you, you know, give it all up, give it all away, let go, walk in this, take that job, walk away from that. I mean, what were you doing? This is the spirit of the Lord. He's saying, what were you doing? Was it, was it all just, was it all just faking me out or was it the truth? Are you just saying you're in this if it's easy? Are you in this all the way? That's why in Romans 12, well, I can quote it. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to the patterns of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can't get to perfect will of God unless you presented your body as a what? Living. What that says is, it says, cut me open. I'm yours. Are you following me? And he's going to give you a garden because, because this is the only way, I believe, in the humanity part of Jesus, or for any of us, when you know that you're facing a cross, he was facing a cross, it was going to be a cruel death. The flogging, the, the crown of thorns, these things were, were the height of cruelty. 
Remember, this isn't theory, this is reality. How could, how could a man knowingly walk into these things that he knows is going to take place? The reason is, is because before he gets there, he says, here, I'm already dead. And, and, and I had a sermon years ago. I had to pull it out of the file. This is what the message was. You can't kill a dead man. Think about that. That's why Paul said for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What are you going to do with a guy like that? I mean, what are you going to do? Kill me? Hallelujah. But that's not how we think. We think about surviving. I had another one. The title was this. I don't have to survive. Aren't you ready for that one? I don't have to survive. <laughs> but all of this was necessary in the garden to prepare the heart for what you're about to face. If this does not happen in your garden moment, what happens is when you get there, you get in the flesh. Jesus could have called down, you've heard the song or the story, 10 billion angels. They would have responded. Jesus could have done a lot of things. And all of it would have been in the flesh. And it would have missed the purposes of God. That's why you have a garden. All right. Now, the, the garden and all of that uh, prepares you for both excruciating pain as well as incredible power. There are two things going on. So let's talk about this. I'm going to go through this real quickly. Preparation for the painful realities. Now, I read to you some passages here. I'm going to go through this quick. You've probably experienced these things. I can tell you I have experienced these things. I have faced this personally in my gardens before we get to vindications and exaltations and all those things. You're going to have to learn to walk through some things that Jesus, in our text tonight, had to walk through. Number one, the betrayal of some of the closest people he ever knew in his life. The betrayal. Judas was at one time, you know, a trusted person. He had to have been. Why would you give him the money bags? He had to have been trusted. He was the treasurer. So he was trusted. Close person with Jesus. And yet we know that something happened. He got turned. The enemy entered into the equation. And he sold Jesus out. And you just got to realize at times that a part of garden experiences are at times close people will betray you. And, and, and you know, I've had to go through this. What do you do when close people betray you? How do you work through that? How do you, how do you assimilate that? You love these people. You, 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 you trusted these people. You gave them things that nobody else knew. You shared with them things that no one else would ever be shared with. How do you survive this? How, how, how? You've died. I have found out the only way to survive this life is to die to the will of God. And anytime I'm struggling with it, and there have been moments, can I just share with you, even this week, that the old flesh begins to wriggle again. Isn't that amazing how that flesh part of you just will not? It just won't. It just won't die. And it wriggles its way back. And you know, when that flesh starts wriggling its way back up, listen, don't pray, oh God, help me. Oh God, help me. When that flesh starts wriggling, this is what I've learned. You just die. And the more you resist dying, the more painful it is. That's why you just get before the Lord and say, kill me. You know what the most, the most painful thing is not really the cross. The most painful thing is you resisting the cross. 
That's painful. Just say, nail me. Just nail me and get it over with. The guy over there with the spear, you. Yeah, you, you, you. Come on, just give it to me right there. Because that happens. Betrayal. Number two, you got to realize you'll have opposition from the religious. They brought all the scribes and Pharisees. And you got to realize the greatest assaults to your future at times come from religious people. They'll just say a lot. I got to keep going here. Number three, abandonment from friends. Abandonment from friends. All of a sudden, the guards show up and, you know, every, they'd had a great communion service before they got there and everybody was in unity and they were singing, you know. They were singing, where you lead me, I will follow. Where you lead me, I will follow. And they were singing the songs and they had their arms around each other. It was a real guy moment. You know, it was it was it was the end. It was the end of their conference. And they they had communion, the Passover meal with each other and and every everybody's going, yeah, we're in this. Yeah, yeah, you can see it again. They're going, yeah, we're in this all the way, Lord. And then the Roman soldiers show up and they all go. I got an appointment. That's what happens in a garden. Not everyone is ready or wants to go to the next level you are going. I've had to learn that. You know, I can love everybody and I want to, but not everybody is prepared to go to the place that God's calling you to go. And if you're waiting for the majority to join with you in order that you can feel affirmed in your going, you'll be waiting a long time. Because sometimes God calls you to a place. And he calls you to an understanding and he calls you to a conviction and he calls you to a standard and he calls you to a walk and he calls you to a journey and he ain't calling anyone else to that. And I'm telling you, it irritates me too. Because I look around and I go, hey, hey, Lord, you know, there's 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 about a billion other Christians in the world you can be working on. You don't have to spend all your time on me. But for whatever reason, he just keeps coming back. I'm not working on me. The 999,999,999. I'm working on you. I lost all, you know how many friends I've lost through the years? I have lost, <laughs> I've lost friends. I've, I've come to the conclusion when I lose friends now, I just sow them. Because I feel like if I sow them, then, then, I, then I can multiply more back to me. That's kind of how I've, I've looked at it. I don't know if that's, that's biblical or not, but I've just kind of, thought that way i just you know they're going to abandon you and i'll just say don't abandon me i sow you in jesus name and then lastly here i put down the mocking of the ministry back in luke's gospel which is one of the harmony accounts luke chapter 22 63 22 63 you said that the, it says here now the men who held jesus mocked him and beat him Having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, prophesy, who's the one who struck you? They got a blindfold on him and they're just hitting him. And they're saying, come on, you work out of a word of knowledge. Well, who's this? Pop. And they're mocking the ministry. And you've heard me say this before, that the same people that were cheering you one week will be jeering you the next week. The same ones that said they'd be with you till the end are the ones now mocking you. Now, that's going to take you out unless you got your business done in the garden. 
All that stuff is going to is going to cause you to have wounded uh, wounded insides. You're going you're going to be angry and mad. You're going to be bitter and upset. You, you could potentially curse God like Peter did, just cursed around a fire. And, and, and all of these things will manifest unless you found your garden. And you got on your knees. And he said, Lord, I'm going to something bigger than the betrayer. I'm going to something bigger than the opposition. I'm going to something bigger than my friends. I'm going to something bigger than the big mouths. I'm going to something bigger. Now, here's the good news. In the three minutes I have left, it's this. Write these down. Even as he's in these initial parts of going to the cross, power begins to manifest. Now, I want to give you three quick things by way of power. And I'm going to get to that that dude that lost his, yeah, skirt. I guess the guy was wearing a skirt. I won't, we won't, we won't go there. Um, Number one, power. Number one, he refused, Jesus refused to defend himself. The whole time counting on his God to vindicate him fully. Knowing that even though he was going to be nailed to a cross, it was going to be unjust. It was going to be unfair. What was going to be said about him would be lies. They would put him on a cross. He'd not done anything wrong. Jesus was fully confident that God would give him a comeback. And because Jesus got a comeback, you and I get one too. So he refused to defend himself. He didn't look and say, wait a minute, you guys, you misunderstood that message. Let me try it again. It wouldn't have worked anyway. He refused to defend himself. Number two, Jesus understood that the battle was spiritual. He understood that the battle was spiritual. This isn't about people. This, is, this was, was a spiritual battle. And all of this had to deal with Satan and it had to deal with God. And this was being played out right there in the life of Jesus. You've got to understand that there are things going on in your life that transcend the boss you don't like or the person that's causing you the problem or the irritation you're feeling through this circumstance. It's bigger than all of these things. It's spiritual. We, we battle not with flesh and blood. And then finally, i got to get here, there was demonstration of power. Now, i got to read this real quick, all right? I, I've, I've got two minutes, a demonstration of power. Some of you have seen this, some of you have not, but in John's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 6, and I'll get back to that naked guy here in just a second. John 18 and 6. I want you to see this. This is so cool. Because they're coming to get Jesus. Judas had kissed him. All the things had gone on. And in verse 5 of John 18, it says, They answered him, uh, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now, when he said to them, verse 6, I am he. Listen, they drew back and what? In other words, Jesus is standing there. There's Sadducees and Pharisees and scribes. There's Roman soldiers. We know there, there was at least, a, a, you know, a a contingent of Roman soldiers. I don't know how many, but, but I'll guarantee you there were several dozen that were there, at least Roman soldiers. There were people who had come to watch this whole event. And it says they drew back and fell to the ground. All Jesus said was when they asked him, are you Jesus? He said, I am he. And everybody goes. Poof. And we make fun of Benny Hinn. Don't we? People go, what's that? What's that business that, that, that you touch people and they fall over? You blow on people and they fall over. Well, you know, I, I you know, 
I understand that you go to some ministries and the validation of their ministry is a body count at the end of the service. And, you know, and, and, and some people even get in the flesh and they start pushing on people. Jesus wasn't touching, wasn't pushing, wasn't doing anything. He said, I am he. And people went, can I just suggest to you, that's power. Roman soldiers. Out. Already, just out of the garden. Then finally, let's go to that naked guy. Now, I know you're all on pins and needles wanting to know about the naked guy. It says a certain young man followed him. Doesn't name him, does it? There's some people who think that because he's not named, maybe it was Mark and he just didn't want to name himself because, you know, he was naked in the Scriptures. I, you know, that's what some people have suggested. I'm going to suggest something else. Because the key here is having a linen cloth around his naked body. This is, this is honestly, and I, I believe this with all of my heart, and you, and, and you can go Google it and study it yourself and you'll get a hundred explanations. This is the one I believe. I believe when he gets up out of the garden and as he begins to move, the earth, the first resurrection had taken place right there. I believe that young man was a dead young man who'd been buried in linen as they are. And all of us, Jesus, all of a sudden, as he comes up, and as he simply says, I am he, and everybody goes back and all the rest, suddenly this young man shows up and they wanted to grab hold of him, but they couldn't get a hold of him. I'm telling you, I believe it was the first fruit of the resurrection. I believe all the things that took place in the garden were precursors to what would be secured at the cross, at the tomb, and ultimately at the resurrection. So listen to me as I say this. Even if you're in your garden, here's the good news. The good news isn't that it's all just pain and sacrifice and brokenness and hardship, but the good news is even when you're coming out of your garden, God will manifest Himself in power for you. Yes, He will. It's just the first fruit, the first taste of that which He wants to do. When you walk it all out into the place of resurrection power and exaltation. Are you following me? That's, that's the template. This is the, this is the model. This is what Jesus is beginning to show everyone that's around him. When Jesus, or excuse me, when Peter is slicing off ears, Jesus, Jesus looks at him and he goes, Oh, you, my kingdom, if my kingdom were of this world, my followers would rise up with swords, but as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. And what that means is, is it's not just somewhere out there. It, it literally means it's not cut out of the same mold. We don't lift swords. We don't have to fight in the flesh. It's not the size of our armies. It's not the might that we have in the natural. But our battle is in the spirit. And, and if we could get a hold of that, we can access a power in God that will knock all those things out and ultimately do miracles that will blow our minds. But in order for it to happen, you got to get through where? Your garden. Amen. Stand with me, will you?